0: Some kind of tropical whatever. This is Gene Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. And I had a lovely show planned before all of this um, got kind of serious. But ironically, the show is very much in tune with what is in play and uh, is um, still likely to happen in the next 48 hours. So... um, I'm going to weave a little story for you as an introduction for the show today, uh, so bear with me for a minute. But uh, during Katrina, I should say, after the storm itself, I had a mantra of saying that we have suffered through the storm before, the storm, and the storm after. During the storm before, we've really had a lot of I will have to call it dysfunction and kind of a degradation going on in the city. And there was this feeling that we were kind of slipping into the swamp. It was a scary time. We talked about 30,000 homes lying in waste. This is before the storm. I I still don't know about all the numbers because we kept talking about that same 30,000 number after the storm, but I know it was much worse than that. Um, then we had uh, the storm, and we had some bad politics in the storm, right? So our levees were not designed quite as they should have been, uh, as the Corps wanted them to be, as the engineers want them to be. But we had politics going on up in Washington where they just really didn't want to give us the money to do what needed to be done. So they didn't get built quite right. And so instead of having what are called... I, I forget the expression. There's sort of T frames. We have
1: I. We have eye wall.
0: T frames. We wound up with um, uh, some T kind wall. of I-like structure. So you can imagine an I flops over a lot more easily than an, an upside down T, which is what would have been there. Um, then, uh, what really happened after the storm during the planning? was that a lot of people in the city learned a lot about how you make things happen rather than just fight against them. And I think that was one of the really positive outcomes. A lot of planning. There were like, I don't know, three three phases that I remember clearly. One was the first committee that was set up initially to figure out, okay, how do we go forward? Then there was the, the phase called UNOP when uh, we all had to really get together and make plans for the neighborhoods, each one throughout the city, the districts, the wards. Um, and and then um, we had uh, the master planning. So uh, we we hadn't done a new master plan in a long time, and finally, we were getting ourselves a new plan. But what really revived the city, what brought it back, I have to say, without a doubt, were the artists the creativity, the creative industries. It was the artists who started putting out kind of rump sculptures on neutral grounds. Um, It was the restaurant owners, the culinary artists of the city who were setting up barbecues out in front of their restaurants and feeding the first responders and anybody who needed to eat. And then there were some individuals who really said, okay, what can I do? And, And again, uh, many of them artists people like michael Manjaras in particular was one of the first people who got out there and said you know we're going to need some we're going to need some cheering up and one way to do that is by commissioning artists from around the country to loan us their sculptures to put out on poetry street and on other streets and try to create a an environment that was a lot more cheerful and and creative and 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 between that, those sculptures, I think, really, and that first Halloween parade. I always point to this parade that the people in the Vieux Carré put on where everybody was in their um, blue, blue tarp costumes and their refrigerators and their mocking uh, floats who made fun of um, uh, the governor and everybody else that was in an official position uh, that was so reassuring. Okay, man, if we can still laugh at ourselves and have a parade in the French Quarter um, and put sculptures out and feed people, we're, we're going to be okay. And then, of course, later came the first jazz fest, and that was the one that said very solidly, we're going to make it. Um, there's a whole other level, though. There's the level of those people who saw it coming. And that includes some artists. It also includes some planners and, and some communications people. So you had this group, the America's Wetland, and, and they were out there saying, um, hello, we have global warming and our, our swamps are, and our marshes are disappearing and that's going to be dangerous for the city because those speed bumps that were out there aren't going to be there anymore. So, you know, you had those folks who were saying, you know, you better pay attention to what's going on. Artists were then and have become ever more so now um, sounding the warnings uh, through their work. One of those artists happens to be a guy that I spend a lot of time with, Bob Tannen, who first started doing sculptures that were looking at what was going on at that interface between the water of the world and the land of the world with driftwood on the beaches of Coney Alley where he grew up. In July 2005, we had that little blow-up. Remember Cindy? Um, it, he he has to take those sheet metal shotguns that he had piled up in the yard, in the garden, and in, in front and around his house, and he decided that usually they get tethered for um, a storm, and they were tethered for that storm. But after the storm, he said, you know what? The big one's coming, and he decided, you know what? I'm just going to smash these guys because the big one's coming. That was July 2005, six weeks later, we had Katrina. So a lot of our friends kiddingly said, "Um, Tana, do us a favor. No more of this uh, Cat 5, the big one's coming, okay? Well, unfortunately or fortunately, he's doing it again. So for White Linen Night, he's putting a great big 30-foot orange lifeboat out on Julia Street with space for 76 people, a lifeboat. And the question that the lifeboat out on Julia Street will pose is, why a lifeboat on Julia Street? Tannen, Bob Tannen, why a lifeboat on Julia Street?
1: Um, Noah and um, a few other scientists like Noah... Uh, felt there was a great flood about to happen. And Noah wanted to be able to have an ark to accommodate all the life on the planet.
0: All the species, huh?
1: All species, all the life. Um, Sometime later, uh, other scientists began to recognize that there were uh, possibilities of great floods and increasing storms and other climate change uh, happening, and that's now. Um, so the lifeboat is kind of a symbol of a uh, a vessel or a, or a uh, a thing that's used to save people from disasters uh, on the seas um, uh, where whether it's the result of natural calamities such as storms uh, or a failing ship or a failing uh, oil rig or other marine structures. So a lifeboat is this wonderful object that says to us, and the lifeguards who are associated with lifeboats in some places, that uh, we need to be thinking more creatively and more um, uh, futuristically about what's happening to us. So a lifeboat on Julia Street, for me, is sculpture that raises very serious and important questions about our environment. And that's a subject I've been interested in for almost half a century.
0: Do you feel like you're getting your message across with your work?
1: Well, if the lifeboat doesn't get it across, I don't know what will. Uh, uh, putting a big lifeboat on Julia Street rather than in the sculpture garden in City Park or in the city park or in a gallery, uh, puts it in the environment. Uh, the public space, the streets are public space. They're the places where we have parades. They're the places where we have great events. And so a street is an important part of the urban landscape. And putting a lifeboat on the street, I hope, will remind people that uh, we have to be thinking more creatively about our public space
0: so you were there for the beginning of the cac the contemporary arts center in the arts district with the vision of of providing a place for living artists to show their work and to try to gain more recognition for what they were doing and ultimately be able to make a living with their art here um, I, with all of the the public art now that's out there uh some of the work that michael manjaras working with other partners that he corralled, including the Hellas Foundation, including Ogden, including others, um, with the Best Off Sculpture Garden. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show with Jennifer Odom about the um, Sculpture Garden and St. Rose that uh, Tommy Coleman and others put together. Um, How do you feel about this public art? What's your sense of... Its contribution to the culture of the city. We're su- we're such a we're so um, really known for and involved with and care about our traditional cultural arts. A lot of this work is, is kind of um, uh, it's challenging. It's provocative. It's 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 stuff that people haven't seen before and sometimes don't even think of as
1: art. Well, public art, whether it's three dimensional or two dimensional or, or multi dimensional is uh, a way of bringing attention to important ideas and issues that we are all concerned about. Uh, Some public art tends to be on the decorative side and perhaps it misses the function of being something that will be educational, that will stimulate ideas and stimulate interest. Uh, So the best public art, in my judgment, is the public art that addresses current issues, that addresses the environment, that addresses climate change, that addresses all of the uh, the uh, population issues associated with uh, immigration and migration. Um, so important public art is part of the current, or should be part of the current, conversation and dialogue about us and what we Want this world to be.
0: But on the other hand, um, that would be a fairly somber parade if we didn't have some of the uh, more colorful and decorative work, uh, such as you see on Poydre Street, some of the balloon like sculptures and Ida Kohlmeyer's work and that kind of work. Um, That might not be delivering as much of a a warning and a a call to action. But it does remind people that um, creativity is a part of our city and it should be evoked, in a sense, everywhere.
1: Well, good public art, like good poetry and good painting and good music and good dance and good food, um, is something special. It's not just uh, something to please our senses. It deals with ideas. It deals with uh, major issues of the day. And that's always been the case of great art, going back to the cave paintings.
0: You know, um, I invited uh, Manny King, who is um, Fruit New Orleans, Fruit um, Orleans, I should say, uh, who has uh, developed a kind of community um that has taken another of your sculptures that's in the shape of a a shotgun house, but temple-like because it's sort of columns all the way around, and um, invited artists from the area to paint on it. And um, a lot of it is Rastafarian influenced, but not exclusively. It's simply, um, again, I think you might say community-driven art. How do you feel about what's happened with that piece and the way the, the the community has kind of, um, I, I don't know, utilized it.
1: It was always intended to be a community project, and that's why we called it the Shotgun Temple. And in fact, a number uh, of members of the Rastafarian community uh, have used it in their religious uh, uh, functions. So I always saw it as something... T- that had an opportunity to become part of the community, and uh, uh, I think Manny and others have done that. Uh, they've used this this piece of sculpture in a way as a part of their activity. And in Manny's case, uh, it's part of his business of of, of making good fruit available to the community.
0: Healthy foods and, fr- and good fruit, yeah.
1: So I'm pleased with the way the community has embraced it, unlike some public art in this city, which is ignored because it has no relevance to the life around it.
0: Well said. <laughs> and, um, and, and and you know, that, that Shotgun Temple, it's been out there for what? A Forty long years. time. 40, Forty years. years. Um, and it's right on uh, the um, Bayou Road a- across from uh, Pagoda. In fact, it really was, in a way, the first um, cultural um, uh, focal point or landmark on Bayou Road, uh, right around the same time that the uh, Carib Club Carib opened. Um, soon after that, I think it was after that, although I may not have my sequence right, that um, Vera Ward-Williams and her family uh, opened the Community uh, Book Center, um, which is also very community-influenced. And that whole stretch of Bayou Road, this is my third time show within a short period of time um, answering uh, it, um, to talking about what's been happening there. Uh, It's – it's really a, it's developed into a very beautiful – it's only a few blocks long, but it's a very beautiful neighborhood, very concentrated, very focused, and very welcoming to people from everywhere, not just from the immediate neighborhood. Um, so I, I think Manny's going to be uh, with us in just a couple of minutes. But um, where do you go from He's here? On the
1: phone. He's on the phone.
0: He's not on the phone yet, is he? No. I am really looking forward to talking with him but I want to know more from you about um where you're going with all this. I mean, are you going to keep sounding the warning um uh, or um what what have you got in mind for these years coming? that um, you're going to be doing here and in other places?
1: Well, it's not just a warning. I I have two clients. One is the RAND Corporation, which is a research organization that's looking at the kinds of things that uh, we are all concerned about, uh, how we live and how we can live better, Um, and an engineering firm uh, that I've been associated with. Uh, that is focused on water and transportation and the environment. Uh, and so part of what I do is uh, to make these these objects, uh, we'll call them art objects, but the other part of what I do is to work with scientists and work with planners and work with architects and other thinkers and doers uh, who are working uh, in the environment, I, it, beyond just uh, creating objects uh, as I do.
0: I I, um, uh, hope that you'll be able to just keep rocking and rolling right along with uh, trying to accomplish that. Um, This lifeboat, I want to make sure that I emphasize before we move on in our uh, conversation, um, is going to be literally right in the middle of Julia Street for White Linen Night. And one of the things that the Contemporary Arts Center and the Arts District Association um, and other sponsors are trying to accomplish with this year's White Linen Night is to kind of bring art back into the picture. It's gotten to be such a big, wonderful party, and so a lot of folks just – wander down the street, have something to eat, have something to drink, have a good time, go to dinner with friends. But the original idea of of both White Linen Night and Art for Art's Sake was to encourage the purchase of art. And um, I sat at one of the most recent White Linen Nights and talked to people as they were coming in and out of a gallery. uh, And I would ask them, do you like art? And they would say yes, and I would say well, are you going to um, uh, uh, buy any? Do you buy any? And they would say, oh, no, no, we can't afford art. Um, uh, Maddie's going to be with us, and I'll talk to him in just a minute. But um, uh, uh, they would say, oh, no, I can't afford art. And I would say, well, you know, if you can afford the shoes, the pants, the shirt, and your, your bag, your hat, you can afford art because we have a lot of young and less recognized artists in the city who are making really good art that you can buy for a fraction of the price of some of these ridiculously big numbers that hedge fund people are putting out for status art that really is not worth more than some of the really important and and excellent art being made in the city. So I urge you all, as you come out for White Linen Night, Uh, At the uh, beginning of August, it's the first Saturday of August, to think about buying. Go look at the art inside the galleries. Don't just wander down the street and party. Get inside and take a look at what's there and think about buying it. Thursday night, um, there's a very interesting forum that is going to touch on this subject with dealers and collectors and artists talking about the importance of actually Looking at um, absorbing, getting to know artists, and actually buying art. So One. we hope that's going to happen. And um, and Bob Tannen's lifeboat out in the middle of Julia Street is kind of a reminder of that. It's taking that art out into the uh, um, entrance. I'm going to kick this guy out of my studio if he doesn't turn that darn <laughs> cell phone out. So.
1: Let but one last to, word no no what, no, no wait, last, one word, last because, word oh no i'm no, sorry the holly I have barnett to, I have gallery to to the holly barnett gallery will be brand new gallery on will be on, uh, also Julia included Street. in this event and there will be prints of the lifeboat exhibited at that gallery for purchase
0: wonderful you got your push in great now <laughs> moving on to manny
1: all
2: right
0: <laughs> manny king you've been out there now on Bayou road for how long
2: almost 5 years
0: 5 years yeah. And you have both um, made use of that Shotgun Temple <laughs> as a kind of landmark for <laughs> your uh, work, for your output, and, um, and for uh, helping you to make a statement about the community. Why?
2: Uh-huh. You said for the Shotgun or the statement?
0: Why did you choose that site? And 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 utilize that building and encourage painting on it. And why did that become so much a part of your place?
2: I'm, I'm gonna say that's um not just the building, but the whole patch of grass, but the building in particular. Um, I see that's what the the artist intended it to be used for. I don't think nobody will build something that beautiful just to sit there. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like we we started on just the plain grass and. You know, we just kept finding our way over, and we met in person, matter of fact, because I had talked with one of the elders, and he was letting me know that. He was like, why Why don't you go into there? And I'm like, i thought about it, but, you know, I know a lot of folks that go and pray in there because they look at it as the temple.
0: That so, was happening even before you came. Yeah, yeah, way your- before.
2: Yeah, yeah, way before, when I, was a, yeah. when I was a child, pretty mm-hmm. much, you know what I mean? Oh, so, really? Yeah, that so, it, yeah, yeah. a lot of people think I'm older, years. nah, I, I'm, I'm literally just 31 years old, oh, so a lot of, a yeah, baby. yeah, they think I'm older <laughs> than that, you know, because I carry myself way older, so it's kind of like, um, a lot a lot of folks thought that, so, of course, when I was a child, it was pretty much there, but, um, when um i talked with i think yeah. it was um mr eric b and he was telling me about oh, um yeah. about about and then we saw we met each other the exact next morning like it was like almost like magic Ooh, that's like weird. the next morning he was walking down the street
0: getting chills <laughs>
2: Yeah, he saw me standing there. He was like, Why don't you try to like what, you that's what I made this for, why don't y'all go in there? And I'm like, Nah, I don't wanna start no confusion with nobody, you know. <laughs> so I just kept doing what I do while I was doing it, that on the side of it, then one day I'm just like, Let me go off in there and I went in there and then we um saw, so, you know, what it what it was and at that present moment, so we came out there the next day with like buckets of water and different stuff, started wiping down the art. So a lot of people thought we painted it just because we, we freshened it up on the inside. I'm like, nah, I've been here. You know, I, I love to get a history of it. You know what I mean? Like way before we got there, I always tell people like what it was before we started touching it. Was it
0: was a lot of young people who yeah. actually did that art. They were students from uh John McDonough for the most yeah, part.
2: Yeah, I, I know I know oh, all you know of the them. Students? Yeah, I know yeah. just about all of them except one, one of them. That's the guy who painted the alien. But all the rest of them, they came and pointed out, you know, what they did.
0: Really? I'm like, that's oh, cool. So you made a connection with all the artists. Oh
2: yeah. oh yeah, most definitely. You know, when some folks see you come into the picture out of nowhere and then start making use of something, everybody who has something to do with it before, they'll just make their face shown and just be like, you know, before I was doing this here, I was doing that there, and I painted this. I, you know, so I oh, would, I
0: love that. Yeah, that's a great idea. I story. added part
2: of like the story when I tell folks they come by, they take pictures, and I always tell them go follow the artist and where the artist could be found at. But what about your business? Oh, Fruit Orleans is more of a service, you know, because <laughs> we we have to be careful calling something a the business these <laughs> days. Um, it's more of a service that we started providing the community with a healthier option. So we have a youth organization, and we're showing them how to be entrepreneurs. And we we still, <clears throat> we started with a watermelon, actually. A lot of people don't know. You know, so from that watermelon, we led to what they see today. And we, we always like so to So the go.
0: seeds of the watermelon were planted. Oh, yeah. And, and you took off from there.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Pretty much as it is still to this day, it's still a child in me. So it's kind of like I keep keep my child real taken care of and tamed until it's ready for the child to show exactly what his work. So right now, it's like we've been focusing on. Um,
0: and now you have children there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a few. Yeah, yeah. Um Some of them, that we trained up. Some of them just saw it, and they liked it, and they copied it. So we have one inside of Houston as well. And we look Oh, at, really? Oh, yeah, we've been putting these stands up. Um Like I said, some folks came through us, and some folks just saw it and liked the idea for their city. So they have a couple of them in Dallas. When do you done. say a
0: couple of them, what do you mean?
2: Um, they are fruit stands. They are fruit stands okay. in Dallas. They're doing it exactly how we're doing it, and okay. they always reach to me for advice. Just to do it because it was something like, you know, how you had the Muslims came with the fruit in the bags. Then you had Mr. Okra came with the fruit on his truck. And now you have folks that's putting stands outside and they all come from us, you know. That's great. Yep. Slicing it in front of them. So it's kind of like that space um, to do what we're doing. It's, it's more like it's hand in hand because it's already was a. Is it? Uh, nobody really, like, they was always wondering, it was like, we wonder what this was. We wonder what this was. So when a friend of mine, he came, actually surprised us with the art that's on the outside. And a lot of people, they they thought it was like Rastafari, because I was listening on my way up here, and it was, they thought it was Rastafari. I and mean, when really it was just like, um, me and a young brother that was working with me at the same time, so that was supposed to be like a mirror of, Someone that favors me, but not me exact. Yeah, you know I mean. So uh-huh. that's the guy. That's the guy holding the fruit on the corner, <laughs> and the other guy holding the watermelon. That's the the um, brother I used to work with me.
0: Where Where did you grow up? Mm-hmm. More than one place, I take it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, after Katrina, but um, right before Katrina, we was in the night War. Um, Florida project started, and then we went across the canal, got hit by the storm, and there um. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, We was definitely in the night wall when the storm happened. So it's like um. You were there
0: when the. Not when it actually. We left that morning. Letters were toppled. We
2: left that morning, the morning of the storm. The
0: morning before it came.
2: Well, the morning of it. We we was left out, but we went the opposite way. We went towards Mississippi. That's what we did.
0: We went to Mississippi. Yeah, and
2: then we got hit by the storm out there.
0: Yeah, but not as bad.
2: Not as bad, but it was I mean, just we like We were that.
0: up in uh, Jackson, and we got it, but yeah. not nearly as bad as we Yeah, no,
2: nah, the, the storm wasn't yeah. bad, but being in Mississippi with no power for two weeks. No fun. Uh, <laughs> I
1: remember,
0: <laughs> I remember, I remember Manny, that, too.
2: Manny,
1: what, what, how do you see the relationship between the
2: food and the art? The food and the art is culture. I'm going to say it um, both has something to do with culture, Um because every culture has a food, every culture has art, every culture has music that represents the culture. So to me, um, the food and the music is hand in hand because you can either relate your culture through music or you can relate your culture through food, and then you hold on to it just to pass it down. So it's all culture, culture related.
0: I, that's what I was telling uh, uh the audience as we were uh, beginning the program, that... Um, I really feel very strongly that what, what saved New Orleans, what brought it back, was, was the creati- creativity uh-huh. and the arts of the people of the city, whether it was uh, culinary or music uh-huh. or arts. You know, in the beginning, the first thing you saw was um, artists who were just putting together trash to make sculpture on uh-huh. the neutral grounds just with no endorsement, no support. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty soon afterwards, the guy that I'm about to talk with on the phone who's going to join our conversation, a guy named Michael Manjaras.
3: Okay. Michael, you there? Yes, ma'am.
0: All right. So so uh, pretty soon you get people like Michael who came in uh, with a much more uh, a kind of deliberate and intentional strategy of bringing art to the streets of the city. So, so you do it on this community kind of spiritual level. Mm-hmm. And I still want to understand what motivated you to do that before we go to Michael. because I'm going to talk about why he did it, too. But why did you do it?
2: Um, why did why did I like come into to, a community to, to bring to culture fruit. back? Yeah. Um, and
0: do your fruit business yeah. for people as a service, as you said. OK.
2: Um, I, like I said, I work I work with a lot of. Locals, for one, and a lot of folks that dealt with trauma straight after the storm and wasn't never healed or recovered from it. So I was always looking for reasons and situations on how to help, how to be part of the um, solution and not the problem. So we had three businesses before this that we launched, like Graphic. It was always something that folks wanted and wasn't nothing that they needed. So it was more like, um, like I said, we started with a watermelon. That one watermelon showed me just how much people appreciate fruit and it's like after the watermelon i brought in the pineapple i only had watermelon pineapple then i brought in kiwi i only had three options and i just kept adding it. so i started buying fruit that i'd never even heard of before just because it was fruit mango yeah just because well i, I heard them like mingling all the regulars but it's like we started getting dragon fruit passion fruit um, different exotics like we got sour, sour we got um different fruits so at my stands i keep like the regular fruit but when folks actually want to come and be a part of it, What we have going on, I introduced them to, like, the exotics. Now we're about to open up a a smoothie stand and a juice stand. Fabulous. Yeah.
0: So you are cultural, spiritual, and entrepreneurial. Oh,
2: yeah, entrepreneur, for (laughs) sure, for sure. I think
0: I could use those same words uh, to apply to Michael Manjaras, who um, uh, I want to ask him the same question. Michael, what inspired you in the very beginning to take on your um, mission of bringing public art to the city, and you brought
3: it—you brought
0: it in from everywhere.
3: Um, first of all, I wanted to do it for the last ten years, I guess, previous to the storm. I always liked New Orleans. I grew up there, and I was coming back and forth to roadblocks and such. And storm hit. I dismissed it, actually, and I'd gone on to other cities and other projects. And then when the storm hit, about six months, four to six months after the storm, the president of the Jazz and Heritage Foundation asked me if I could help out the artists of New Orleans. He says all the money was going to the restaurants and to the uh, musicians, and hardly any money was going... Uh, or any focus was on the art or artists of, in the town. And I said, well, that's a, that's a long-term project. He says, well, do whatever you need to do. I said, well, I'll give it two years. And ultimately, uh, if you ask yourself the question, how do you help the artists? Well, you build a collector base. And building a collector base takes a generation. Um, and I've experienced that through my friend James Searles and a group of his friends who created a a collector base in the city of Houston. The city of Houston is now the number three art market in the United States. What? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's been number three for about 20 years.
4: Wow. Um,
3: You know, first of all, Texas is a very rich state,
4: and and it it
3: does help. But infrastructure, grassroots movements, things like the CAC – Provide that base if it continues to help and support young artists. So this was the preface. So every piece that I brought in the first two years was art from friends of mine that I'd worked with on every other project. And uh, most of those guys I met through Mark DeSubro and Storm King people, um, all the people I knew in Texas, and so it was very easy to call them in. Everyone wanted to help
2: New Orleans.
3: Primarily the big hitters came from Storm King, Louise Bourgeois, um, Chicaia Booker, um, Mark DeSuvro, Alexander Calder. It was all through that network. And then a lot of the, the piece that's in front of the Ogden Museum by James Searles, he and I've been working together for 15 years. He was much uh, like a mentor to me, and supported every project that I'd ever uh, worked on, any public project that is. So that's really how it started. But after about three years, I was looking for an exit plan. In addition to that, when James Searles asked, uh, when I asked James Searles, he told me to go talk to Arthur Rogers. And I had already gone to the Arts Council. So, so let me Shirley just, for my t-
0: audience, which doesn't necessarily know about some of the people you're talking about, um, so Arthur Rogers is uh, one of the leading art galleries in town on Julia Street. We now have art districts all over the city. I mean, we have them in Central City. We have them on St. Claude. But Julia Street uh, is still the, uh, the first major arts district in the city. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: That's fine. Well, the Arts Council folks at the time, I went to them. I did the I did the necessary legwork and due diligence. I went to the Arts Council. They couldn't help me out because they couldn't provide insurance. And they said, I said, well, do I have your blessing? They said, yes. And so they asked me to do a biennial. And I said, I'm not going to do a biennial. I've seen biennials come and go in Houston, Dallas, everywhere. They're very, very expensive. They're hard to keep on time. They turn into triennials, then they turn into quadrennials, and then they just lose their steam because a lot of interest just dissipates. Well, then I went over to Arthur Roger, and I was telling him what I was going to do, and I mentioned the fact that they asked me over at the Arts Council to do a a biennial. Arthur is good friends with Dan Cameron. That's how that all came about. So he called up Dan. So Cameron, Dan Cameron,
0: so, let me again from my audience just say that Dan was the guy who actually um, took, I guess, the idea that you brought to him and executed that first big prospect, which actually did turn out to have a huge impact for the city. Wouldn't you say?
3: Yeah, I was. made it was, it, Dan, if, if nothing else, Dan's a, a marketer deluxe. He's a, he, he is a marketing genius. He did a great job. He pulled in all the artists he had uh, and again 90 in, uh, 90 in,
0: some artists Pardon me 90 right over 90 artists
3: a lot a lot and and uh, you know because new orleans was on its knees the entire country was helping out the city so patrons of dan's from his past all all belly up to the bar um That didn't happen in my case. I mean, I got all the art, but no one was flooding us with money. I just, I just knew artists. And, um, so, so between the two, um, Dan got the big story on the press and such, but ultimately it became a city of art as a result. There's art everywhere.
0: And actually, um, you, I hope you remember that, um, one of the things that uh, my organization and I did, because we were so interested in making sure that New Orleans artists were part of it. So we took this the uh, the uh, Colton School, and um, we opened that up to New Orleans artists. We had 160 artists and arts organizations. So I felt like we kind of did our share, and that became kind of the headquarters in part. Yeah, that for, was amazing.
3: Um, yeah. You know, everybody – We all, everybody We all tried
0: to do something.
3: Up. Everybody did something. Everyone, you know. I mean, this goes back to Kirsha Keshley who did the uh, projects over in uh, the uh, Upper Nine. And, uh, you know, regardless of the outcome, everyone was trying to make something happen for the city and for the artists. As I said, the musicians were pretty secured. You know, there was a lot of money coming in. They could raise, they could do concerts and such like that. The restaurants, everyone was helping out the restaurants. Well, the artists were, had bird nests on the ground. Most of their studios were gone. Um, you know, John Scott, for example, his was flooded and then he was pilfered. So it's very difficult for any of them to even want to come back because they went out and got jobs. And after a year or two, it says, well, why should I come back to New Orleans? There's not even a collective base there other than it's a a cool place to live and work and a great, uh, I guess, feeding grounds for artists, you know, it's, it's, it's very uh, inspirational. And um, so long-term the best way I knew how to help out artists was to build a collector base. And by placing art um, everywhere in the city from Tulane to Xavier to all the neutral ground, it's, it's the, the power of attraction and, you know, I didn't try to meet collectors. I didn't uh, try to promote any of the art. I just let the art do the talking. And then the patrons came out and started supporting it. And so a two-year project's now in its 15th year, and um, I had no idea it would last this long. You know, I was ready to, you know, do my own thing after the third or fourth year. Uh, uh, I was pretty exhausted because I did, I did everything. I drove all the art in. I shipped all the art in. I um, operated all the cranes. I operated all the forklifts. You know, I did everything. I, I've
0: seen you it climbing was, on. <laughs> I've seen you climbing on those forklifts and, and uh, those cranes and up on the sculptures themselves. So uh, I know just yeah. what you're talking about. And um, so, so, Michael, um, I, you didn't expect it to be this long. It's still going, and uh, you've actually signed up um, other partners to take it forward. And um, where where from here? What's next?
2: Well,
3: the Hellas Foundation, uh, David Kirstein with the Hellas Foundation wanted to support the arts. And so he was, um, through Rick Gruber and David A. Stryker, I met David Kirstein. Rick Gruber was the former director of the Ogden. Ogden, And David David, uh, A. Stryker was the past president of the Jazz So they introduced me to David Kirstein, who is the president and ceo of the hellas oil company which oversees the hellas foundation they started to sponsor us and things like that so that kept it going and it's keeping it going they have their own agenda at the moment which is to promote art and and such throughout the city and they're doing a good job um, you know my my direction is to keep all the uh, placements that I set out for the artists rotating keep the young artists um, or mid-career artists to have them have an opportunity to show uh, in a world showcase and New Orleans you know sculpture for New Orleans uh, uh, has been told I've been told is a major success on a world stage with that being said Every time an artist puts a piece out there, uh, especially on Poitras uh, Avenue or Poitras Street, the Poitras Corridor, you get 10 million viewers a year. That's uh, you know, statistics from the Department of Transportation.
1: Michael, it is, might be Michael, it's yes. one thing I've been concerned about. If you look at the new sculpture garden in City Park, there's very few local artists uh, as part of that. And if you look at what Manny is doing and what he's talked about, what I try to do, is to encourage more of the local population of creative people to be part of what you've discussed. It's, it's one thing to bring in important national uh, uh, people to participate <coughs> in what we're doing, but it's also <laughs> important to have the local population participate as much as possible in this larger undertaking that you discussed.
0: And, and let me just, uh, tag on to what Tannen just said, um, because I, I think it's important to do both, what you've been doing and bringing people here who are recognized artists that, that, uh, people who are, um, kind of follow the arts, uh, care about and want to see and that it just, it's their attractions, right? Um, I agree with Tannen totally because I'm always about trying to figure out how do we make sure that we really incubate the arts here um, there's there's another level to it and and that is um, looking to all the neighborhoods of the city and and looking at art as a way of attracting both residents and visitors to not just the the bourbon street and and the c b d um, which I'm proud to say the CAC, which was something we were involved in getting off the ground, has really made into a major arts district. But get them out into the Ninth Ward. Get them into Araby. Get them into Ferret Street. Get them into Tremay, Get them into uh, Mid-City, all over the city. So I, I'm hoping that that you're going to hang in, even though you might be a little bit tired from what you've been doing, but that you will help. Spread uh, sp- spread this out even further into the city because that's one of the things we need to do. We need to get people out into the other neighborhoods and and help grow. I mean, like for well, example, Manny. Yeah. If Manny, you're going to put a, a smoothie, where are you going to put your smoothie shop?
2: Mm, before I answer that, can I tag on to which I was just talking Please. about? yeah. All right. Um, I wanted to say something when when Bob said that because I actually agree with that. Right. I think the the main part that new orleans is suffering from is not just art the art that goes up tells a story whose story the local story you know what i mean cuz that's that's pretty much what with this was built off of, like the whole culture that I was speaking of was built off people come to New Orleans to see New Orleans culture, they don't come to New Orleans to see really, you know, no disrespect but no international art, you can go internationally to see international art, but when you come down to New Orleans, you should be seeing things that represent New Orleans, created by New Orleans locals, for New Orleans folks if you want to come here to see that that's what you're coming to see, you're coming to see those local things that makes the city what it is so to me it's like, you know it's hard for me to sit amongst conversations and we talking about artists and we're not talking about some of my friends that I know close that's, that's, that's knitting the city together at this present moment, like B-Mike, like your B-Mikes or your, um, your Tariacs or your, cause I'm, I'm, I'm real culture based, so it's kind of like I'd be at every culture, almost at every culture situation that's happening because it's like, it's, it's almost important to be a part of that. And like I said, I was, um, I'm, I'm from New Orleans, born and raised, so it's kind of like I know what the city needs more than what it wants. So it's kind of like, you know, just being part of, um, the proactive part of things of knowing exactly what the city needs. And like I said, it, it's nothing that's, um, I, I wouldn't say it's even race driven. It's more about, um, creativity and it's more about being local because when you, when you're actually local, you know that you have folks that's right in all of these neighborhoods that paint that's real good.
0: I think, I think one of the things I want to tag on to you again also and say that, um, In cities like New York, Chicago, Uh Houston, he mentioned, uh, L.A., uh, there aren't markets, and they they draw people from everywhere Uh to both make and sell and buy art. But Uh the culture of New Orleans, what really makes it unique here is that it is so rooted Uh in the legacy of the city, and that is – What you, what is unique and special about it and different. And, um, if we don't treasure that and protect Uh that and grow that, we've really missed an opportunity. So I am so supportive of everything that Michael, you've been doing Uh and the people that you're working with are doing, what Tannen's doing. Um, what Manny's doing, all of it is really important. I've got to segue into uh, another conversation. Can I add her in or, or we, we can? Okay, great. So I'm going to add in um, Jennifer Odom. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Hi. So now Jennifer Odom is another person who's made a point of putting art outside for people to see. Um, she's been participating in a project that I'm involved with in St. Bernard Parish called Crevasse 22 River House, where, by the way, we are having our summer Sundays, and we have one coming up on the 21st. But um she also works with another sculpture garden out in St. Rose, which you know, I think mine is far away in Poitras, but yours is pretty far away too, and then I have another one in Central City. But um tell me about your sculpture garden out there. Um I know that I mean, you are—you're uh, not the sponsor of it. You're the person who's been putting the art together. What, um, what, what, what are you trying to do out there?
4: Um. Well, uh, hello. Nice to be here. Um, hello to everybody. Um, my job at um, the Saint Rose uh, Sculpture Garden is just as a curator, assistant curator. It's a private sculpture garden, so it's run. Um, it's uh, uh, the, the Owner, uh, Tommy Coleman, he's a, collects art and some, and sculpture and, and, uh, so it's, uh, it's opportunities basically for, on a local level, for people to submit proposals and, um, and install work that sort of responds to the, to the site sometimes, but there's no really set, uh, agenda actually, um, so, but, again, that's a private uh, sculpture uh, collection. So, somebody's,
0: somebody, I just want to interrupt. Somebody's making a lot of, uh, where's that noise coming from? You yeah, know, somebody's moving some equipment around or something that's kind of uh, causing some static in the background. Um, it might be me because I'm, uh, I'm on the interstate. <laughs> okay, that could be. Yeah, that could be I'm, part it, of it. I'm mobile. All right, I'm sorry. So, so, but Jennifer, also, is it not true? You tell me. What is the mix again in your case between the international and the local? I think you kind of do both, right? Personally. At the, oh no, as a curator at the Saint Rose Sculpture Garden, because we'll talk about. Uh, in fact, everybody in here that we've been talking to during this show is, in their own right, an artist. So that's an important point that I didn't make in the beginning. I just want to make sure that everybody realizes that. Go ahead.
4: Um, yes, it's I, like I said. There's no um, agenda or mission. It's um, it's a It's a beautiful collection, and um, it's a mix of local. Sculptors and, um, and nationally known sculptors the and occasionally internationally, um, um, known sculptors. Yeah, so
0: it's a real mix. Which I, I mean, again, mix, yeah. I, I like having the art from elsewhere. I like having the art that's really homegrown. I like having the art that is uh, mission and and message driven, like Tannins, But I think that you know having the mixture um, was always something that we wanted to see happen with the CAC. We really wanted to see both the local and the national, so that we could, in a sense, endorse the relationship between the two, which is important. Just like our music, you know, jazz. Music Music started here. I saw something the other day that uh, from a Mississippi publicity thing saying where music began, and I'm saying, hmm, okay, yeah, a lot of music began there, but it also a lot of music began here. So um, uh, I, I, I think that all of you uh, that we have had on the show this evening have been contributing this creative urge. And, and when I hear people talk about tech as the thing that's driving the future of New Orleans, it, it makes me a little, um, uncomfortable because I think most of the people who are doing tech here really ultimately are creating a platform and, and an avenue for creative content. And we have to recognize that that is still the, um, uh, heart and soul of what we do right here. But, um, uh, you say you have no agenda but you're you're putting a lot of art out there for people to see, so that's an important agenda, just as Michael was saying, you know putting that art out on the streets for people to see
4: yes but and you know this is a sort of a it's out of the way, and if you know you have to contact me if you'd like to see the work, so it's not sort of publicly accessible except through myself um but yes, it's out there, and um we have about i think. Maybe fifteen to twenty local sculptors uh, showing work out there. Um, So that's it's it's uh, it's a great uh, site and it's worth a visit if you anyone wants to.
0: So Jennifer, do do you want to give us some contact information if somebody wants to come out and see it? Because St. Rose isn't exactly uh, you know on the west coast or something. It's what is it about twenty minutes from uh, downtown?
4: 25, yes, 25 minutes. minutes
0: yeah yeah, yeah. so that, that's the same but with our crevasse we're we're
4: 25 minutes down there people come down um yeah so my, i'm uh jen odom at com. if anyone you know you can put that as a contact for me
0: okay jen odom at com. michael yes. what about you if people want to Um, kind of uh, get before you and talk to you about what you're doing and be a part of what you're doing. Do you have a contact that you can give
3: them? Yeah, my last name, Manjaris, at hotmail.com. In addition to what everybody had said, when I started placing art, there was no local artist. So all these people from around the country loaned us this piece. So it's the old build it and they will come. In the last 10 years, it's all... My efforts have all been local. Everyone's been local or or regional or from Mississippi or Alabama or from Texas. And so I started partnering up with the Ogden Museum, and everything is under the auspices of Southern art. Now, my objective is to continue everything to be rotated. That's all over the city. And if any purchases are made, they get spun off of Poitras into other uh, parts of town as a permanent collection or to to a local site. But Poitras is the highest visibility for a young artist, and it helps their career. So that's that's the important thing about having a rotating show on Poitras. Once you have... Stable art there for the next twenty years. It kills the project.
0: Well, I, I, I absolutely uh, love the idea of rotating and making sure that a lot of artists do get to show. But Michael, I I know you didn't mean to say that there was no art here before then. No, because, I didn't say
4: that. Uh, okay, no good. Artists. I'm sure that they you didn't left. mean to say that, Everybody
3: right? Was gone. <laughs> Yeah, right. This was a this is a hotbed of art. New Orleans was great. I was always impressed with the great art, but you know, for two years, that's part of the success of sculpture for New Orleans. There was no one to tell me no for two years. I asked Keith. What, what you mean? Is there the, was there were no
0: institutional boundaries?
3: No, that, there was yeah. no design advisory committee. There was nothing. I was working with Keith Blechner from the Park and Parkways Department, and I said, Keith, may I use your engineer? So I don't have to duplicate process. He says, "Michael, we have one engineer in this city. Consider that for a moment. They had one engineer for well, two well, you years. Mean, you,
0: want, you mean one engineer associated with working, the arts department.
3: working yeah. for the city of New Orleans? Everyone was gone. Everyone was on a skeleton crew. Everyone. It was a town of sixty thousand people, Gene." Yeah. So,
4: yeah.
3: you know, when I was, there's still, I mean, friends of mine were going to Dallas to get a haircut and see a barber for a year. So you, you got to remember, you know, nobody walked past Claiborne off canal. You know, it was a no-man's land.
0: Well, we it had was, a
3: barber uh, out here on Broad Street, i got to tell obviously. you. Right? You were yeah,
0: you, yeah, you were getting your dreads done, right? Yeah, there were barbers, <laughs> but maybe just not for um, the Poitras Street crowd. <laughs>
3: okay. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but nonetheless, we were just there to help.
0: No, That's you did it, a great job. Think, uh, it was very important what you did. It, it, as I say, I truly believe that it was the creativity and the arts that and and I mean all of the arts, all of the disciplines that brought the city back. And um, I, I credited you, and I talked about what Jennifer and Tommy did, and what Manny did, what Tannen did, some of the things that my organization did. Well, um, but but in the end,
3: yeah. There's a collector base now. I mean, truly, are people? Do you, you feel like too. people
0: are buying art? Gee, tell me about his
3: Yeah, so I, can, I think so. so I, can I think what Tommy some has done for, and of course Sydney has increased his his uh, input to the Sydney Sydney, and one of the best off and such, and that's the mainstay. Yeah, but he's, know, he's been purchasing um, art from not, everywhere else, it but touch, it doesn't touch base to the local artists. What Jennifer does, and what you do do it at Crevasse, it it keeps it keeps opportunities open for anyone to show in the public realm that's right and that's that's extremely important
0: i am a a big fan of of everybody we've had on the the program tonight I, i really don't know manny that well my husband's been telling me uh talk to manny talk to manny and finally i got him in here and we're gonna have you back and uh michael you and i talk all the time jennifer um i'm looking forward to your artist talk in august do you remember the date um, no, but I, <laughs> I think it's the second, second Sunday of August, but it's, it's right in there. Be
4: there,
0: but we have and summer Sundays down at crevasse 22 river house and, yes. uh, watch out for that, uh, lifeboat on Julia street and watch out for more of a parade of rotating art on Poitras and in other parts of the city and come by fruit on Bayou road.
3: Yes, fruit and, Orleans. Yeah.
4: Fruit Orleans.
3: And, and, city of art and magic. You.
4: What was that, Jennifer? I said, thank you for everything you do.
0: Well, thanks everybody on this program, <laughs> including Jazz, who's the engineer who has to put up all, with all my insanity. Gosh, thank you everybody who's out there for listening because I know that you're all worried about the storm right now. I might actually have to rerun this show because I know a lot of people are, are watching the weather maps right now. I know I was all day long. Where is this yeah, thing going? Good luck, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. We'll bye make bye. it. We made it for Katrina. Amy, We're going to make it to for this one.
4: Right.
0: I'll, uh, I'll I'll make that happen. I'll make you come see Maddie. He's right by the Shotgun Temple, uh, Michael, on Bayou Road. Thank you, everybody. Uh, get through this weekend. Pay attention, as everyone's been saying. Mayor Contrell was out there saying, just do your part. Watch out for your neighbors. Watch out for the shut-ins. Watch out for the family. You know, I, I never forgave people who said that they left their parents behind in New Orleans and they all wanted us to care about it. And I'm saying, wait, you didn't get them out. <laughs> take care of your take care of your family. Yes. Take care of your friends and your neighbors. Thank you all. Thank Thanks you. All in the you. audience. Bye-bye. Bye.